Well, glory, glory, glory. I have already felt his wonderful presence in here this evening. And uh, this it's not over. Glory. Sunday was so wonderful. Tonight is so wonderful. Presence. You know, I just know in my spirit that we are headed towards more and more and more of Jesus services, Holy Ghost services. Um, I'm almost um, afraid in a good way to even prepare anything on certain services. Some services he'll just like, uh, my hand's the hand of a ready writer, but especially more and more of these. Wasn't that presence that came in and we were just still for a long time? Wasn't that wonderful? Glory to God. He's doing something in that. He's doing something in that. And we're just willing to let him do that as often as he wants to do that. Hallelujah. So praise the Lord. Because in it, miracles are going to take place. A lot of wonderful things are going to take place. And uh, we're inside of revival. It's already began. It may be in an infant state, but it's already began. Glory be to God. So praise the Lord. Thank you for your giving tonight. And we appreciate it so much. Um, I'm looking forward to Sunday. I don't know what. Hallelujah. We may be strung out around here for hours. <laughs> skip Sunday night service because it'll just bleed into hallelujah well we've got the Plamond and girls running the sound booth tonight so this is all anointed amen hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Jesus so Mike Church is here with us and we appreciate that we love Mike and he was a big part of the church in Ocala with Miss Loretta Cole, and we sure love Loretta. And we can't wait to see her again. Did a lot to minister to those people up there for a number of years. And amazing enough, I did not know this until the other night where Mike was over at the house, that he and Loretta, though living in Ocala in the same city, they did not meet each other until they went to a Dave Roberson conference in Tulsa, is that right? So they met at the conference in Tulsa, the same conference, and they didn't know that each other were was, you know, right there in Ocala. So that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. So God has a way. So Mike has been around with us a long time. Um, he refers to myself as his pastor. I don't ask for that. He does, and this is his church. So. Um, He's going to come and minister, teach or preach or do whatever the Holy Spirit tells him to do. And uh, he has very much for the years and years been a, a strong uh, meditator, <laughs> not a commentator, a meditator of the word of God and, and was trained like I under Pastor Dave and his ministry and those kinds of things by listening all those series over and over again so um we appreciate mike being here with us and he's just down to he didn't come to teach or or do anything and i said why don't you share with us a little bit wednesday night so come on mike hallelujah amen hello hello is that working all right it's nice to see everybody spaced out so i have somewhere to look. <laughs> Very good. Hallelujah. Um, you could uh, turn to two, Second Corinthians 3. Um, I want to take something out of there first before I get into more of what I believe the Lord would have me speak about. <clears throat> I had a couple different messages going through me, but I've you know, didn't try to force one being what the Lord would have for me. I just kind of waited on it, and one became clearer today. So I think that is the one, I believe that's the one that God would have me talk about. 
Um, so Second Corinthians chapter 3. Um, and a little bit of a passing review. I was here a year ago, so I know everybody remembers that message. Um, but I, and I love talking about it because when the word puzzle pieces together, you know, revelation here, revelation there, they all, to use Bronx word, tether together and become an overall image. It's that understanding that when in your spirit you see it just puzzle piece together, that that's where faith comes. And it's, and I love the way Dave said it. We can all wait till we get to heaven to find out I was right. I mean, it, you, it seats in you that well. And one of those for me, and I talked about this a little bit last year, was um, John 10, talking about the two doors. You know, Jesus came through the door of Mary, and then he became the door. You know, we know Adam set, set this uh, train of spiritual death in motion. We're all born from that spiritual death through Adam. You're, Alan Taylor says this, you're born on a train, no doors, no, no windows, nothing. It just, and throughout all the generations, it just shoots off into hell. I mean, there is no way to get off the train. And Jesus coming through the door, you know, the only person with spiritual life in the whole sea of darkness, and then through his death and resurrection, he becomes the door to everybody. It's the only door out of that train. And I love the way John chapter 10 uh, puts it. He says, if by me any man enter in, he shall go in and out. And what I love about that is he says in twice. Why say in twice? If by me any man enter in, then he goes in and out. And it's because it's impossible to leave darkness and go to light. You can't do it. it. It's impossible. You need the light in order to step out of the darkness and into the light. And so Jesus is this unearnable, unmeritable. He, he, is, he is the impossible made possible. It is impossible to be born again. Technically speaking, it's impossible. You can't step out of darkness into the light. But by unearnable, unmeritable favor, he lights you on credit, so to speak. In the split second, you know, this is Second Corinthians 3. The Lord is that spirit. He lights your darkness on credit, so to speak. And when you believe it in your heart and, the, and as you're about to push it out of your mouth, it becomes yours and your sinner's prayer, your confession that Jesus is Lord and you become born again. That becomes yours. And Second Corinthians 3, and this is something I saw a little bit uh, deeper. I didn't catch this until uh, just within this past year. And the reason uh, Paul uses the example that he does of Moses and the Israelites, and if you look at... Gosh, we might as well. I guess we'll start with verse 11, kind of jumping in the middle of this, but I, I'm ultimately not going to stay here. I'm going to go on somewhere else. So 2 Corinthians 3:11. For if that which was done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. What he's saying there is Israel receiving the law. They didn't really know that the law ended in Christ. They, they, didn't, they didn't understand that because they're veiled by spiritual death. What I want you to notice here is Moses also has a veil over his faith, face. So Moses also is veiled by spiritual death. But notice when in, in this story, it's based on, I believe, from the book of Exodus, when Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. Of course, he comes down, he breaks them when he sees what the people are doing, goes back up and gets them again. But when he comes down, he has such glory in his face that the people are like, you know, we don't even want to approach you, talk to you. So he would cover his face. And that's what they're talking about here in talking about the people are blinded to the true purpose of the law. You know, we know that the law was sent to uh, prove the knowledge of sin. You know, the, the curse of the law is the people who have the law because you can't keep it. So just having the law is the curse. It is the knowledge of sin. But the people who received the law, they didn't really know that. They just think we're God's chosen people. You know, even though they're just hearing the law, they're not doing it. They're not keeping it. So they're thinking they're God's special people. They don't see the true purpose of the law at this point. But of course, Jesus sees the true purpose uh, purpose of the law. You know, he's not veiled by spiritual death. You know, he is this glory, this life, this light. So he knows that the law is God. God is holding court in the middle of the earth. God is using a nation to have a court of law. And what he's doing is he's proving 
Israel, you can't keep this law. Nobody else can. He's, I mean, the gavel comes down. He's proving a, a just God, absolutely just, absolutely judgment. He's proving you're all guilty of death. And then he takes all that judgment and pours it on one man, Jesus. And he becomes that door, and you get to walk out. And as far as the Lord is that spirit, when you hear the gospel, you are lighted with that light on credit. And then this, as you believe it, and, and it, of course, comes out your mouth in the sinner's prayer, that it becomes yours. And, of course, we know from around here that if you can't speak, you know, it doesn't have to come out of your mouth. The thing is, the second you believe it, it goes from on credit, it go, and it becomes yours. And what's interesting about Moses is when you go back to the story, I believe, in Exodus, so he has the veil on, but notice he's veiled of spiritual death, just like everybody else. But notice the glory is still on his face. So he's, that's the type of that glory coming on credit. So that glory comes behind his, his veil of spiritual death on credit. And then Moses, when he turns back to talk to the Lord, he says he takes the veil off. So when he turns to the Lord, his heart turns to the Lord, he can then take off the veil of death and that light becomes his. He becomes born again. That's why he's using that example in 2 Corinthians 3. And the reason I wanted to start with that was, um, and then if you want to cruise over to Jude right quick while I'm speaking here, um, is, you know, Jude, uh, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, of course, until he got born again, then he became the full brother, um, that he, he, he's growing up knowing the Old Testament knowing the law, they, they hear it all the time, but they didn't really know what the Old Testament things were speaking of. But of course, once he turns to the Lord and accepts Jesus as Savior, and then of course begins, because he was in the uh, upper room with Mary, filled uh, with the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. So, he start, so he's going to say something in here that's going to show us, he's going he's to relate something from the Old Testament, and which shows that as, as his spirit was lit and he prayed and he, he then looked back into the Old Testament and, and was seeing Jesus everywhere. Um, and actually, before we do this, I, we have a special guest here today that you guys are not aware of. Um, my mom, hello mom, is watching. If you guys would do me a favor and just stand up and wave, say, hi, Barbara. She hears about you all the time. Hi, hey, mom. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And she would, uh, she would want me to tell you uh, two things. One, that I live with her. She doesn't live with me. I live with her. She would, she would want you to know that. And the other is, I was telling Bronk um, the other night when I was over at his house that my, my dad worked for a pharmaceutical company. That was his, his main career. Uh, but what I didn't tell him is what he did um, years before that is my dad was an FBI agent, and that's where my parents met. My mom worked for the FBI. Um, she wasn't an agent, but she worked um, teletype, which is actually coincidence, was my first job in the military, which is a way to um, send and receive messages. But what's interesting in a, in a story she would, she would like you to know, um, she probably doesn't need you to know it, but she would like it, was she was in the office in Miami um, sending and receiving on the teletype live, I think. I'm pretty sure it was live because she said they, they didn't have time to check messages during the Bay of Pigs, which the Bay of Pigs is when the CIA, um, they got a bunch of Cuban exiles to uh, try to oust um, Castro. Of course, it, it failed big time, and I, I'm no expert on this. I just brushed up earlier today because I knew I was telling the story. Um, but anyway, she was on that teletype, I guess, sending and receiving messages as that was going on. So, uh, so anyway, that I uh, wanted to share that with you. Thanks, Mom, for watching. Um, hallelujah. And also, I will just pray here for a moment as I, as I get into this. Father, we just so appreciate you and worship you and magnify you and exalt you. Father, you are our delight as we are your delight, and we're just so grateful, Father, and magnify you, and I give you all the glory. And I know anything I do here tonight, Lord, none of this originates with me. I have no agenda, taking no glory, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Lead me. Father, I'll do what I see you do and say what I hear you say. 
And we separate all, all, all the glory to you, Father. In Jesus' name. So Jude here, um, I just want to kind of tell you a little bit about what I'm going to tell you, and then we'll, we'll get into it. You know, so we got the famous verses, and we'll start with um, in verse 19. These be they who separate themselves, sense ruled, having not the spirit. These are the people Jude is warning them about. Um, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. And verse 23 the garment spotted by the flesh. And you ever wonder why is he using that comment? He, he has a reason why he's using that. And, and we're going to look at that in the Old Testament to see why he's using that. Um, so let's first go to um, Haggai and Zechariah, just right before Malachi and Matthew, to make it easier for some of you. course i've seen you guys sing the old testament song with the books i never learned that one so i was like oh my gosh i have no idea now uh if we uh go to zechariah now zechariah is filled with things that i do not know um so i'm just gonna uh grab one thing out of here um because one thing about Zechariah, um, Ezra, Haggai, um, and Nehemiah, I believe, too, is it, it's pretty much something happening all, all at the same time after the captivity of Babylon. You know, quick history, Saul, Saul, or Saul uh, David, Solomon, and Solomon's son, uh, Reboam, he's, you know, he's pretty much... Uh, as a promise to David, keeping somebody on the throne. So he's... The southern kingdom, Judah, with Benjamin, basically over two tribes, and Jeroboam, which I believe was kind of David's uh, or Solomon's right-hand man or his military guy. He is running the ten tribes uh, known as Israel. And, of course, when you read in the Old Testament, the sin of Jeroboam is, you know, he sets up the calf worship in Bethel and Dan because politically he's calculating, there's no way I'm going to let the people go to Jerusalem and worship there because Jeroboam, that, that'll be advantageous to him. So, um, so as the history goes on, about 722 B.C., of course, Assyria takes out the northern kingdom, and they uh, go into captivity. And then I think a, a good date, and there are several, by the time you get to the southern kingdom and their deportation when Babylon took them out, um, you know, 586 is, is a good time. You know, I think there were several waves of, ex, of people that were taken into captivity. So I'm not sure exactly where they start the uh, 70 years from. And then, so then you have 538 where, of course, Persia overtakes everything. Cyrus says, you can go back and build a temple. Um, so that's, that's pretty much where we're at, that people are now going back and they're uh, building the temple. Uh, and, of course, that's going to be important because, remember, Everything's type and shadows. Jesus says, tear down this temple, I'll build it in three days. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's 46 years. This temple is in the building. And they're referring to Herod's temple, which is this temple we're going to talk about tonight. But Herod kind of redoing it, refurbishing, adding buildings and whatnot. And I believe that was all happening during Jesus's lifetime. Um, so he says, tear it down and I'll rebuild it in three days. And of course, because you're going to step out of the shadow of the old and into the new where we are the temple, individually and corporately. Um, so you remember Jude talking about the, uh, the garment spotted by the flesh. So now look in chapter 3 of Zechariah. And I just want to do a few verses here to get something out of this. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this the brand plucked out of the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And you don't have to go back there, but I am going to shoot back to Jude. Thank you for your patience here. And Jude 23, and others save with fear. Now, notice him saying, pulling them out of the fire, very similar phrase, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And now... We're almost going to get to the, uh, the, the book we'll probably be spending most of our time in. But remember, Ezra is happening at the same time. Ezra and Haggai are happening at the same time. So if you'll cruise over to Ezra for me, I want to grab something out of there. And what we're going to do is we're going to use this to show that what he's really talking about, not the building of a physical temple, but us building our temple, building ourselves on our most holy faith, even the way Jude is using holy, is we're going to find out why he's using that. The word building, building the temple, is the reason he's using that word. So is everybody in Ezra? Uh, Ezra uh, 3, chapter 3. So what is happening basically now that they're going back, um, if you look in 2 Kings 17, you'll find out in 722 when the northern kingdom went down, they planted a bunch of people in the land, uh, which eventually became the, the Samaritans you read about in the New. And what's interesting about that is once they're planted in the land, I believe it, the, it, it says the Lord sent lions in among them and were uh, killing the people. So they kind of go to the king and say, hey, you got to get us uh, a priest up here of the God of this land because, you know, the lions are coming out and killing us. So what the guy does is he, of course, doesn't send him an actual priest from the temple, a Levite. He sends him one of the priests from uh, Bethel, I believe. And Bethel and Dan is the calf worship, the false worship that Jeroboam set up. Um, So they go in and teach the people how to operate according to uh, God's laws. And it says a very interesting verse. It says um, that the people feared God, but then, and I'm paraphrasing, did what they want. They feared God, and they still served the gods of their own nations. So it was all the pretense. And, of course, that's the classic definition of religion we run into today. You know, I call it the legalism and the lust. When you're caught in your natural soul that cannot receive from God, it, it, it's, it's two-dimensional. Like if I had a two-dimensional screen and yet I had a three-dimensional uh, basketball or a pickleball, right? But a three-dimensional uh, basketball and I passed it through this two-dimensional screen, what, what would that screen appear? Well, when the basketball first hits it, you would see a little dot. And then as the basketball is passing through, that flat circle would get bigger right, until you get to the halfway part of the basketball. And then as the basketball is passing through, that circle, two-dimensional flat, gets smaller and smaller and smaller until a little dot and it's gone. You know, so the people, and Gary kind of taught some of this stuff years ago, who live in 2D land, they're like, wow, did you see that? You know, God, a basketball, he's a little dot that expands and then contracts. When really, that's not what God is at all. God is an actual three-dimensional thing. When we got born again, we received actual life, the actual same image Jesus has we received. You know, but the natural soul does not has any idea how that life works. So when it comes to grace, all the natural soul can do is legalize the grace or make it a greasy grace. That's all it can do and, and be stuck back and forth um, in that. And of course... Why we like so much about praying in tongues is whatever of that is in you, praying in tongues will build you up above it and mortify it and get it out of your life. And you can live beyond that in actual life. It's, it's beyond uh, knowledge. You know, 1 Corinthians 2 talks about the language of man's wisdom. That, is, that the spirit, if you have the spirit, you can be taught spiritual things, but the natural soul cannot receive them. 
but we have the mind of Christ. So uh, you, you hearing me use English, but if I'm speaking out of the mind of Christ, I'm speaking actual life, the mind of Christ, in what we would call two-dimensional words, normal English. And, of course, that's what I should be doing. And then, then that grace should touch you, and then you receive from that. So, so that is coined really well in, um, I believe it, I don't remember which book of Kings, but chapter 17 where the Samaritans had come in. And so the, uh, you're going to see here in a minute the Samaritans are the ones that are going to resist um, Israel from building the temple. And you can look at that as a type and shadow of, of religion, of, of people trying to serve God out of their natural soul, which is rampant. You know, the radical grace message is somebody who's interpreted grace out of their natural soul. And that's what it is. And, and of course, that does not end well. Now, even if they have a radical grace interpretation, you know, as Bronx says, as long as they don't go and do the uglies, they can still make heaven. The problem is, is they're preaching that, but somebody else is going to take it and run and try to live a life of fornication and, of course, be lost. And so we're going to look at some of that a little bit. So in Ezra chapter 3, um, and then verse 3, and I just want to set something in motion here. And they set the altar. So, of course, they, they're back in Jerusalem starting to build. And they set the altar upon its bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, and burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. And then jump over to uh, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of, of David, king of Israel. So we see here that they have now laid, laid the foundation. Now we know that what it really means, type and shadow, is the foundation of the new nature, Christ and him crucified. Excuse me. And that's, and that's really what it's talking about. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 it talks about, you know, how do you build on this foundation? Do you build gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble? Now, what's interesting about that is three of those things make it through a fire and three things don't. You know, so the, the wood, hay, and stubble is, is all the natural soul flesh that people are building on the foundation of the new nature and they're serving God out of that and listen as long as you don't go into the deal breaker sins that destroy the image there's a lot of the basic sins you don't go too far look there's mercy after you die God is going to burn that away you'll be left with no reward but but you'll be in you just you can't get into this habitual deal breaker sins you know 1 Corinthians 6 Galatians 5 Ephesians 5 you got to that stuff will kill you quick. You won't inherit heaven. But, the, but if you build on this foundation, and we're going to see about these people building here in a minute, the gold, silver, precious stones, well, that's, being, that's proper material to build on the new nature, and that passes through a fire, and you, and you receive a reward. Mark 9 says um, everybody basically goes through the fire. It says everybody's going to be, um, I think it says, salted with fire, and every sacrifice salted with salt. So what he's saying there, and as you go through Mark 9, is talking about do not offend a little believer. Do not offend someone who you should be bringing to Christ or a new believer in Christ. Don't offend them with bad doctrine. It was better that you tied the millstone around your neck and went and jumped in the river. I mean, we're talking deadly stuff. And, and part of my testimony in is, which I will give probably at some later time, is... When I was born again, I was very legalistic. I mean, I could be legalistic about anything. You know, I was a legalistic giver. One time I didn't have any money to give, so I took off my watch and put it in the offering. And then, of course, the preacher up there is like, oh, hey, did somebody lose a watch? But you can't tell when you give, right? You can't, you can't advertise your giving. Of course, my friend knew how crazy I was, and he's like, no, no, it's okay. It's supposed to be in there. Um, and then I've also been on the other side of it. What had happened, and, and I guess I will give you a little bit of my testimony, is back in 93, of course, I've had a couple of backslidings and, and come back. And I was living with the guy who led me to the Lord in the military. So this is in 93. Uh, beautiful black family, man and his wife, uh, three kids, 
crazy white boy living with them. And uh, so they, they need a little break from me. So they go to Greenville, South Carolina, to a Maryland Hickey um, conference. And, and, of course, Pastor Dave was there. We, we didn't know anything about Pastor Dave. So, of course, my friend was super impressed with the anointing of Pastor Dave. And, and my, my friend, uh, uh, like when he dressed up to go to church, he could really dress well. In the military, when you got an assignment in the Air Force to South Korea, you know, it was a remote. So you couldn't, if you're married, you couldn't take your family. But some guys liked it because you could get really nice suits, cheap. You know, so he was a guy who would like to dress to the nines, you know. And so here Pastor Dave comes out with a suit coat, but he, no tie and it's open. You know, so he noticed that first, but then he's like, but then the anointing basically crushed me into my seat, you know. So he's like, wow. And uh, so Pastor Dave is throwing out tapes, and my friend is a big guy. So when Dave whipped some tapes down the floor, he stuck out his big mitt and caught him, and he brings them home, and he says, and he hands me one of the tapes out of it, and he says, you know, check this guy out and, and see what you think. And, of course, I always remember two things from that time. Number one, I never heard any man talk like this. And number two, you knew it was truth. Um, you know, as with Gay and, and her mom reading just a few pages in the book, oh, this is it. You know, if uh, pray up the mysteries, everything you don't know about Christ in you, you will know. that That's the ticket. That's what gets you uh, past. You know, so, and, and I was a good student, you know. I, I started doing that. Um, Pastor Dave started talking about fasting. I started fasting. I went on um, two or three smaller fasts and then, Jumped on a longer one, um, what I would call a longer one. Pastor Bronk might call it a medium one. Uh, but, you know, and listen, God showed up. You know, I, I just fasted day in and day out, prayed in tongues, and listened to Dave tapes. And the, and the Lord really came through, and he, and he showed me that people go two ways when they don't believe in the mercy and the love of God. And one is, is legalism. As long as you don't do anything that's bad, you don't ever have to worry about God's mercy, whether you believe it or not. And the other one is you go greasy, and that is um, when you don't believe in the mercy and grace and love of God that nothing's really sin anyway. You know, so he showed me, and, and if you go down the legalistic path, you go down so far, you look back at the day you were born again and say, uh, well, that's too greasy, that can't be right. Or you can go down the greasy path and look back to the day you were born again and, uh, and say, oh, well, that's just a work, brother. You know, accepting Jesus is just a work. You know, everybody's saved. And there's definitely more to all this, but that was the revelation I got. And to me, it was eye-opening. I was so legalistic. I've never had any kind of impression of not being legalistic. So there was a freedom, and it was a freedom from God, and I was very excited. And yet God warned me. He's, he's like, um, don't go greasy. Now, these words, greasy, weren't around. You know, this is, in other words, at this time, I didn't even know religion was a bad thing. If someone says you got religion, I'd be like, yeah, that's good, right? In other words, this is before all those words. I had no idea about any of that. So, um, but a long story short, I went greasy, and I went greasy fast and big. These guys who say you don't have to repent when you sinned, heck, I didn't run into that one until I was on my way back into God. I so blew by that. And, and, and it was and a fast, fast descent. And... Um, so here's what I want to get to about 1 Corinthians 3 with the foundation. And that is, you know, here's my contribution to the, the foundation. I mentioned some of this the other day. And that was I work in construction in Columbia, South Carolina, doing an, uh, an extension on a Walmart in the back of a pickup truck with a guy smoking marijuana that I sold him. And, and, and here is what I said. You can do whatever you want, sin-wise. You can do whatever you want as long as you have Jesus. Here I am destroying this man's life. And, and praise God that, um, that there is repentance. It's under the blood. Of course, I'm dealing with some purgings of getting that behind me. I've had some tough days. But prayer and fasting, you know, it, like I say, it took me a while to, to put that stronghold behind me that I created. Because once you come back to Jesus after something like that, the devil's like, oh, I'm going to get you back because I'm going to hound you that, that, that you're lost. But, you know, God, God knows how to deliver you from that. It's not like every day I was hounded. I went through some intense purgings from that. But, man, you can come back. You can get it purged. You can know the love of God. And listen, you want to know how wonderful and amazing to get purged with? I still pray for that gentleman. His name is Melvin that I told that to all those years ago. 
And, but to be honest, I, don't, I haven't gotten a report back in the spirit that he's saved and I can stop praying or that he died and, and maybe got saved and went to heaven or maybe died and went to hell and I helped him there. Even if that is true, even if Melvin is in hell now, I still can go to the blood, be forgiven, repent, and come back and he wipes it all away. So, I mean, that to me is incredible. Uh, you know, so... When it comes to this foundation of Christ and him crucified, the new nature, you know, when what you build on it, everybody's going to give an account for. Mark 9, every, everybody is going to be, uh, and I may have this a little bit off, but basically it's doctrinally sound, is going to be salted with fire and every sacrifice salted with salt. So everybody's going to go through fire. People in hell, they go through a fire that they never get out of. We go through a fire as revivalists because the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire, using the Holy Spirit to go ahead and purge all the junk off our foundation, no matter what natural soul is. Because even if you're not as bad as what I told Melvin, if that capacity is there and you you start believing these uh, radical grace preachers that are everywhere, then you can get there. Trust me. So we get to go through the fire here and purge all that junk off our foundation and make sure what we're building is only gold, silver, precious stone, and actually build the temple. When he says um, that you will know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God that is beyond knowledge, when he's, the reason he's given you those dimensions is he's actually talking about building your temple, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What happens in a natural soul is you're, you're stuck in a relativity. You're, you're stuck in a dichotomy. Um, so you don't, you, your compass is off. And it's only once you get filled with God and keep yourself filled does that push all that dichotomy out where you know that you know where you stand and you know how to walk in life. And, and what's going on in your natural soul, you, you defeat it at, at every turn. You keep it under. You, you know how to, in peace and in joy, keep your spirit on the horse and keep your natural soul the one walking down. Um, you know, so it's tremendous. And, of course, then when we go to heaven on Judgment Day, if all we have on our foundation is the uh, gold, silver, precious stones, we pass through the fire of God's judgment and we receive our reward. And, of course, um, if there is any natural soul things, you know, as long as you didn't destroy your own foundation with habitual, those, the, the ugly sins, listen, he'll burn off all that. You don't have to be perfect in this life to make it to heaven. And, uh, and he'll, uh, he'll take it all away, and, uh, and you'll be left with just your foundation. Um, you know, so you can see where the type and shadow of the temple is how it translates to us in the new, in, into the New Testament. We are that temple. So what's awesome about these verses, and I will get to my Jude in, in the book of Haggai. I'll get to the connection is, you know, so they, they come back into Jerusalem. They're um, doing the offerings. They're uh, keeping the feasts. And now they've laid the foundation. So shoot back over to Haggai, please. I should have marked it, but I didn't. So basically, Haggai um, starts... So if you, if you wanted to stick Haggai in, you would stick it right between Ezra 4 and 5. That, that's the, the timetable here. So, um, so they're doing the offerings, they're keeping the feasts, and they have laid the, um, the foundation. But then those uh, Samaritans come in. Remember, Samaritans, uh, and, and they spoil, they, they get them to stop the work. They get them, and we won't go into all that, but they get them to stop building. And, of course, again, the, the Samaritans with, you know, like we, they learn, they, by pretense, they've learned all religion. You know, we do one, two, three over here for God. We do one, two, three over here because I've served God legalistically. I can now excuse myself over here. You know, so the Samaritans have gotten these people, you could say it in, according to the new, out of their natural soul to stop building the way they should be building on this foundation. So that's where we jump into um, in Haggai. And... And look at uh, verse 2 and chapter 1. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, 
saying, this people say the time has not come, the, the, uh, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It's not come. Uh, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's going to be an important term coming up. Consider your ways. You have sown much, you bring in little, you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, right? And, and that's not hard to understand what that's talking about. You try to live by faith, but nothing's really working. Why? Because you may have built the, the foundation. You have Christ and him crucified in new nature. But if you have a bunch of junk um, on your foundation and you're not building it properly, you know, it's not going to work out for you. And I'm not saying the people like that are not saved, but you're certainly not going to fulfill your call. And you're certainly not going to have what Jesus would call a successful Christian life that, that your faith is going to, um, is not going to work for you. Um, so let's jump now. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that they uh, start building. So verse 13, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And then it gives the date, which I probably won't get into that, but it's cool to see how the dates uh, kind of work on this, but it, it's not necessary for what we're after. Um, so they're doing the offerings, they're doing the feast, they've laid the foundation. Of course, they stopped work. Um, and I think, gosh, I, and, and don't hold me to this. Of course, Bible scholars out there, you can look it up. But I think it's like 15 and 20 years, Bronk, you may know, where they, where they didn't build, where they started building, but they stopped. Um, so you, you see where they, they're doing the work again. And then, and then jump down. To verse 10, chapter 2. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment. Now, interesting phrase, right? What does Jude say? The garment spotted by the flesh and building yourself up on your most holy faith. So he's using holy a garment spotted by the flesh. He's about, this is why he's using that. Because he knows what all this means. All the Jewish people know what this means. And they're not breaking down the whole story. Um, you know, for example, like I love that uh, in Galatians, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. The reason he's saying that so concise, and praise the Lord for Pastor Dave breaking all that open for us, is because the people he's writing to know the story. So he's just really super concise. And, and I can't, uh, God's truth say that's what Jude is doing. You know, I don't know his, if all of his audience knows this, but Jude is certainly coming from knowing the, this story that I'm, that I'm, as, I, as I'm about to unfold. So if one bear, verse 12, holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered, no. I believe uh, Levit Leviticus 6.27 uh, backs this up, and I, I think it, what it basically means is when the uh, the priest carries, I think maybe the burnt offering that was his portion, if he carries it in his skirt, of course it touches his skirt, or it may mean when he's preparing it that the blood spatters on his skirt, and and and, and that skirt's holy. I think that verse six twenty seven talks about or, or verses around that where you have to I, go back into the temple to clean it. You know, so the, the skirt that touches the offering is holy, but you can't take that skirt and touch anything else and make it holy. It, it doesn't work like that. But now he's going to show you um, the other side of the coin here. Um, verse 13, then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. So now uh, on this side, if... 
if, you're touch, if you touch a dead body, then anything else you touch is unclean. So that, that passes on to everything you touch. The holy part doesn't. Just the skirt is holy. Anything else you touch is not holy. And, and we're going to see why that is. But now for us, building yourself up on your most holy faith, in the New Testament, you build um, the gold, silver, precious stones um, on your foundation. You build yourself up on your most holy faith. Then you become, then it flips for you. Then you're the holy one, and everything you touch will be holy. You'll, you'll have revival. You'll, you'll far live above sin. You'll affect your whole community and save people. And everything you touch, you can make holy. Um, and, and I just love that. Uh, so, he's, so he's explaining that one way, and now he's going to use another example uh, to show the, the same thing. And then answered Haggai and said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. Remember, they came back to Jerusalem, they're doing the offerings, um, laid the foundation of the temple, but because they didn't continue building, God was no longer accepting those offerings. That, that's what he means there, that everything they offer there is unclean. What it, what it is, is they're building their life on a, foundation but on that foundation is a bunch of natural soul fleshy things and what he's saying everything you touch is unclean um and of course new testament wise you can still keep your salvation you just won't get any reward um and verse 15 and now i pray you consider okay remember consider your ways from earlier in chapter one and now i pray you consider from this day upward, what it means there is uh, upward means backwards. From this day backwards, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. So this is before you started rebuilding. Um, so they were doing the offerings, keeping the feast. They built the foundation. Then they stopped rebuilding. So right here, they're in. They're they're unclean. They're um, in disobedience, we would say in the New Testament, on their foundations, a bunch of natural soul junk that they're operating out of. Um, so then verse 16, he starts to explain again how their faith is not, is not working. Since those days were when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all your labors of all your hands, yet you turn not to me, says the Lord. So basically, in short, he's saying, look, your life's not really working out because on your foundation, you're building it on a bunch of trash and you're not. So, so you're there in uh, at this point, they're in disobedience. The Lord's not even accepting their offerings anymore. So when he says back up to um, verse 15, And now I pray you consider from this day backwards, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. So he wants to, what he's talking about here, I believe, is I pray you consider from this day backwards is if you consider what he wants to frame is, have you ever seen um, the game Othello? It's, It's a game of chips where... Have you seen it, Kirsten? Have you heard of that game? Where if you have, um, say, a bunch of black chips facing out, if you surround on this end with one chip and on this end with one chip, then you can turn all those white. But if someone comes and puts a black chip on the end and a black chip on the other end, then they all go black, and that's kind of how the game is. So when he's saying, consider now from this day backwards, before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord... He's saying if you're considering your life from your disobedience, if that's how you're framing your life from, you know, judging it from disobedience, then nothing is going to work out for you. And now he's going to show you how you should frame your life. Um, Jump down to verse 18. Consider now from this day backwards from the four and 20th day of the ninth month, which because remember now they're rebuilding, you know, so. Now they have started putting stone on stone. They are properly building on top of that foundation. 
Now consider from this day backwards, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, and from the day that the foundation of the temple was laid. So in other words, now in their obedience, today, obedience, they're rebuilding. So that's one chip, say, say it's the white chip, right? So now you have all their disobedience, everything they touch, nothing is working out for them. But now he's saying, consider now from your obedience to back to the foundation of the temple being laid. Now, God, because they are obeying, all that flips to the good. Now everything is going to begin to work out good for you because from the foundation, or we would say the new nature, now in obedience, we're getting the junk off the foundation. We're building good things on it. Now everything is going to start to work out for us. And and so, and, and here is a good verse as we continue. Um, is the seed yet in the barn? Yeah, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree has not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. In other words, on the outside, it still looks like things aren't going so hot. But he's saying now that you're framing your life built on the foundation of the new nature. And now looking at today, is he's going to judge everything in obedience. He's forgiven and purged the disobedience of the not building or the building on trash. You've, you're, you've now begun to wipe that all off. The new nature on that end, your obedience on this end. And now everything in your life is going to turn. And even on the outside, if it doesn't look like your faith is working, if it doesn't look like you're in revival, now everything going forward by faith, he says, I, I will bless you. Even though you don't see it yet, it, it's coming, it's here. And and what's wonderful about that is now that this is built, you don't never have to check behind you to make sure everything's right. Man, you got it. And, it, and it's coming forward. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I just want to make sure there is not anything else here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, is there anything else I need to share? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just wait on him a moment. I thought I saw something a second ago. I want to make sure I finish this properly. Hallelujah, Jesus. Can we just magnify him for a moment and sit in his presence? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for your word, Father. Worship you and exalt you. Hallelujah, Father. Thank you. I know what to do from this point forward. Thank you, Lord. Separate unto you all the glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. I exalt you. Magnify you. We love you, Jesus. This is your presence. Hallelujah. You're wonderful. I exalt you, Jesus. I worship you and glorify you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We exalt you. We magnify you. Hallelujah. I don't feel like I'm done yet, but I'm not seeing, so we'll sit here for just another moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. I do not mind waiting, Lord. We're waiting with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, that was it. Huh? The Lord saved me. Um, let me uh, end. This won't, won't take too long. So we see the Othello, the Othello game framed in obedience on one end, the new nature, we're building on the temple in obedience. We're building. We're obeying today. Everything is starting to turn and to click. And uh, so let's jump back to Jude. It stands to reason I would uh, not be done with Jude. Hallelujah. Now, Jude and uh, Peter and First John... Obviously, they have a lot in common. But one thing is, is, you know, when we got born again, that was, you know, a perfect finished work. No need to go back and repeat it. 
And because it is a perfect work, it means it continues into today. So if you're not continually doing it today, you can erase what happened to you in your past being born again, right? So it has, so Jude, Peter, and John uh, warn of this. John does it by saying, you know, I'm not giving you a new commandment. It's the old commandment you already had. But then he turns right around and says, yet it is a new commandment. And the point he's making is what you received at first is perfect. And you're, and you're good to go. You're born again. But you have to continually, because it's perfect, you continually are walking in it today. So in that sense, it's a new commandment. And then and Peter talks about that. He says, though you once knew this, as long as I'm in this body, I want to put you in remembrance to these things. So again, yeah, you, you're born again, you're good, but I need to put you in remembrance now to stay the course, to continually be doing this today. And, and Jude is the same way. Um, when you see beloved, verse 3, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. This salvation that happened to you sometime in your past, you got this foundation. Yeah, it's good. You know, it, it, it's perfect. You're born again. You, you're the righteousness of God. And because you are, I now also need to write for you to contend now in the present to keep it. So because it was perfect in the past, you have this foundation. And because it was perfect, that means you do it today. It, it, it continues on. So what's happening in Jude, as we've been uh, taught well over the years in verse 4, is there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, trying to define grace out of their natural soul, you know, you're dealing with greasy grace here. They've turned it into lasciviousness, an excuse to sin because the grace covers it. I, I won't say his name, but you all would have heard of him. You know, when he's on, I like to jump in there just to see exactly what he's saying. Because, you know, Gary has taught in Bronx radical grace. So to see if he's saying anything like I've heard these guys preach about him. And, um, and, I, I, and most of the time, I don't. You know, it's amazing. A lot of what these guys says sounds super good. Their problem is, is they're saying it out of the natural soul. So it's the position they stand in when they say it. That's what's so dangerous. Um, it's not coming out of the born-again spirit. So, so what he said that verse meant was that, in other words, we understand the true grace is walking righteously. And to turn it into lasciviousness is to excuse yourself in sin because grace covers it. But what he said it meant was the people who blame him for being lascivious were the ones that have turned the true grace he's preaching into lasciviousness because we're blaming him for being lascivious. So, so he's turning it all around. And again, you see this dichotomy. You see this relativity that you can get stuck in if you're following God out of the natural soul. If, if we were all out in space, empty space, and, and one of us was lying down and one of us was standing up, you know, this guy would say, oh, well, you're lying down, but I'm standing up. But out in open space, this guy would be like, no, 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 I'm standing up. You're lying down. And, and that's the natural soul trying to serve God is it is stuck somewhere between the legalism and the lust. And, uh, and most people get fingerprinted. The devil can fingerprint them exactly what traps them. So they just stay, what, stay where they are. You know, they, they, most of them probably end up going to heaven, you know, as long as they don't violate their conscience too bad. But, but he's, he's capped them. They, they won't go on and do anything for God because they're stuck in that relativity. They don't know how to get past, okay, every time I go into God, I either start going really legalistic or I start understanding grace, which frees me from the legalism, but then I get pushed into a greasy grace. And, and, and people, they either go too far down each one of those roads or they get fingerprinted in a combination of the both and a religion fit just for them for, by the devil himself, and then they just stay where they are. And, and again, you can make it to heaven that way, but the bad part is, is every time you turn on your TV, you're hearing a radical grace preacher, pretty soon you're going to start justifying why it's okay to override my conscience. And then, of course, danger. Um, so, so that's what's going on here in Jude. And then I, I can sum this up without too much more time. And we jump over 
to um, verse 19. These be they who separate themselves, sense-ruled, having not the spirit. So in other words, you can look at this like we did back in Haggai when he says, consider your ways. So when they say separate themselves, what it means is they're, they're operating from a wrong reference point. So when they're judging all these words, grace, righteousness, love, they're judging them from the wrong position and, and they're separating themselves. They're, they're making distinctions that are wrong. Whereas if you jump down to verse 22, and some have compassion, making a difference, making a distinction. Now he's talking about us. If we build ourselves up on our most holy faith, on the foundation of the new nature, get all the trash and natural soul flesh stuff out, build the gold, silver, and precious stones, we're going to be filled with God, and we're going to be operating from the right perspective where we know how to make a distinction of saving some with compassion and others we save with fear. See, if you went to a radical grace preacher, and what they would say was, you know, oh, you got to be nice to them, you know. So they would love the compassion. Oh, yes, you know, you have a problem, you know, with, with fornication. Oh, you little believer, it'll be okay. God knows your heart. And if somebody comes in like us, which would say, hey, if you keep living like that, you're going to hell, buddy. The radical grace preacher would be like, no, brother, don't say that. You're going to give them a sin consciousness. You know, that's too hard. That's not how you win them. See, because they're making the wrong excuse me, distinction. So like back in Haggai, they're building on a bunch of trash. And when he says, consider your ways, they're, they're stuck in a world because their beginning on the foundation, what they're built their life on, is disobedience on the natural soul, and they're continuing in disobedience. And as we go down to Jude, where it says the garment spotted by the flesh, he's talking about these people who their, their garment is touching the dead body of their nasty doctrine, and everything it touches, it's infecting. Everything they touches is, is, is bad. It's making it unholy. So that's why he says... When we, building ourselves up on our most holy faith, get to the place where we make the proper distinction, saving some with compassion, some with fear, and then we pull them out of the fire. Remember from, I think it was Zechariah, the brand pulled out of the fire. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And what it means is we live so far above the operation of either a legalistic or a greasy grace that we are qualified to come and save these people who are the garments spotted by their own flesh and everything they touch is unholy and they're, and they're ruining it, that we then can make that distinction. So here, our reference point, through prayer, on the new nature, we, we know how all this works. We can make the right distinction. These other guys who are separating themselves, they can't make the right distinction. They're confusing grace for lasciviousness. You know, they, they're going from fruit, fruit withered, no fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They've separated themselves somewhere along that spectrum. But we, free of sin by the new nature, day one you're free of sin, all the classic Romans 8 um, stuff. And on top of that, as we go into revival, prayer and fasting and worship, we can get all the junk off the foundation, build it properly, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. We can live beyond the knowledge that a natural soul is stuck in, in actual life, and we can make proper distinctions and know in every moment, okay, when I'm witnessing to someone, do I come in on a merciful, pitiful, kind, compassionate side, or is this somebody where you gotta, you got to just lay it out? If you don't stop, you're gone, buddy. Hell, period. We, we can make those uh, distinctions. Amen? So let's uh, keep on the path. Amen? Amen? Praise Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. How many think he meditates the word? Hallelujah. I, I loved it. Hallelujah. So there's where he was closing out. I was thinking either we say, oh, honey, it's going to be okay. Or you're going to be a French fry. You're going to burn. <laughs> either scared the, you know what, out of them or love them. But we have that.
Wow, that's really neat. What a testimony. I, I, you've, you ra- rarely meet anybody that went way left and then came back to center, you know, as far as really radical grace message. It, usually if they're radical, they just, there's hardly anything that turns them around. So very good. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I hadn't heard that part of his testimony, but hallelujah. So. The other thing I was thinking about, too, with your testimony and all of it was so good. But you just think about when you read about Paul, what where he was at as Saul. It said he led, you know, when he cleaned out basically Damascus and the warrants that he got to go to Damascus was after he had basically ravished Jerusalem. He'd gotten one city taken care of and he one scripture talks about he by his own testimony said he had many led away to prison and chains and i believe it even said some to death but can you imagine how that satan fought him after his conversion on all those trips he would be laying in you know bed thinking i'm getting people saved now but no telling how many i put to death you know prior to this but there's grace to get past that that old man was crucified and it's gone forever. Hallelujah. What a night. What a wonderful. Mike's like listening to a professor. You got to just, I mean, he's got a lot given and you just stay in there with him. So praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Thank you for coming. And uh, we're getting ready to receive something wonderful uh, Sunday. So blessings on all of you. Thank you for all of you for watching. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, the Lord of the church, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be blessed.